Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Jar and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Well, baby, what a weekend in sports. Some good, some bad. From Friday night, the high school football ranks to Saturday. Did the UNF game, man. They made 21 threes. It was a lot of fun. Florida State with a huge win on the road at Boston College. The Gators with an, another unbelievable loss against Missouri on a two-point conversion. Oregon got smoked. That's not really local. That's a little far away from here, but they did get smoked. They did, yeah. Uh, and then a Sunday, holy cow, uh, that featured a 20-play drive by the San Francisco 49ers that took up 13 minutes to open the game. I've never seen that. Like We've seen long drives. I mean, I feel like we've seen a 20-play drive before. I'm not sure I've ever seen a 13-minute drive in the NFL. I've covered the NFL for 20 years, and I don't think I recall seeing that. But to start the game, I know I've never seen that. And, and I really thought they were going to go. They really had a chance to run the entire quarter out. If they go for it on fourth down, they make it because they could have still got a first down before the goal line. And might have run the entire quarter out. I mean, it was unbelievable how that all transpired, and obviously we're going to talk a little bit about it. And then, you know, Brad's halftime approaches in that game, we're sitting there at the stadium and watching that embarrassment, and then Mullen gets fired. So, wow, what a weekend. Uh, coming off uh, a wild three days, and here we are on a Monday. Oh, and by the way, the saving grace of the weekend, Austin Lane gets the dub last night. I saw that. Yeah, you did see that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's free-range hot buns to all of you. Yeah. Kind of lost my mind there for a second. That was fantastic. That was seriously your best moment. That Whatever that was, like, that was amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, and if you haven't seen it yet, you should go on Twitter and see it. I retweeted it. And uh, I'm not to say I don't have high hopes for you and your, your rest of your life at the 24 years old or whatever you are. Yes. That's going to be tough to top. Yeah. And you've done some good things since you joined us in the last five months. But that will be tough to top. I try. Yeah. I uh, and, and really what I'm most excited about is now that Austin got the win, I mean, I think we're just going to have hot rolls everywhere tomorrow on the show. We're going to have uh, red and green M&Ms like I promised last week mm -hmm. and white fudge Oreos Maybe a bunch cake or two. Uh, bunt cake, that's right. Mm -hmm. I, I think I said the bunt cake instead of the M&M's, so I don't get the bunt cake. I mean, I might gain five pounds tomorrow on the show. You do what you got to do, man. By the way, Austin looked like he should have gained five pounds going against Juan Adams. Yeah, I tell you what, he was bigger, a lot bigger. It's a, I don't understand why he keeps fighting these guys that are so big. Well, he's got a plan. But he didn't have a plan, didn't he? Yeah. Let me tell you this. I'm about as novice at this MMA stuff from an a analysis standpoint as you can get. You know it a little bit. You watch it. Right. I was down there watching. Uh, by the way, why didn't you come down and watch it? You texted I, that you were here. Yep. I said we were watching it. You never came down and watched it. I had to work up here. Oh, you were working at the time. When I, when I tell you that within seconds of the fight going on and the FSU game ending and we had to join football in progress, like I was actually doing stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. Uh, and, and then creating a heck of a video, too. Yeah. Uh, but Stuart's down there watching. Olivia's in the sports office, and she can't even watch because, like, Austin gets, like, a, a little blood under his eye, and she's done. Yeah. That's it for her. But Stewart, like, kind of knows it. Like, he's talking about some moves before the, the, the analyst talks about a move. Okay. And I was impressed. Right. 
It was it was like uh, whatever kind of arm bar behind the back chicken wing type thing. He yep. called it whatever he called it, and yep. he said it before the announcer said. It. I was like, wow. I was like, this is impressive, Weber. So anyway, we're. Uh, I have now watched Austin fight though, for a couple of years, at least a handful of fights, if not more. And I can tell you this with my eyes, how much better he has is as, as an MMA fighter over the last couple of years. I mean, you're right. He had a plan, stuck to the plan. I listen to the announcers more to get my information and kind of listen to them talk through it, which is kind of what you should do. That's why you listen to the show right here. Uh, I'll talk you through everything. Yes. But, except MMA. Uh, and, I mean, the game plan worked, right? I mean, he tired him out. Juan Adams was exhausted after round one. Yeah. Uh, and I was a little concerned in round one for Austin because – We've seen him in that position before against a heavier guy, and he got cut above the eye. And that's how he lost the fight. The uh, Well, that was now five fights ago. But he lost. He gave up like 35 pounds, 40 pounds. I forget the name of the fighter. And he he just got cut above the eye. Like, that's why they ended up stopping it. It wasn't like he was getting beat. They actually were complimenting Austin on, on how good of a job he was doing on his back, like in that fight. And so that transitioned over to this fight where he was super comfortable on his back, and even though there's a 290-pound guy laying on him, and uh, had a nice reversal in the second round. Yep. And even in the first few rounds, even though he was, it looked like he was getting beat, essentially, if you really just watched it and didn't know much about it, he still landed a few shots before he got down to the ground. And that was the whole Juan Adams thing, is that he wanted to wrestle. Yeah. Right? He wanted to grapple. And Austin was going to try to avoid that if he could, but... He was also going to wear him out if he had to. And by the time they got to the fourth round, man, you've seen it by now. Probably if you follow us, uh, the uppercut was a pretty nasty one. Mm -hmm. And that was it for Juan Adams. That was a heck of a knockout uh, blow. Yeah, and Austin did a good job in the first couple of rounds. Uh, he, I think he knew he was going to be on his back, and he did a good job of not taking damage from uh, the bottom. He covered up well, and if there was a submission attempt, he got not even an attempt, but if it was going that way, he got out of it. And... He, the cardio was on 100. I think he could have kept, he didn't have to because he knocked him out if he missed that dude was out cold. Well, not out cold, but he would have been if they wouldn't have stopped it. Uh, Austin could have kept fighting. That's how much cardio he had. And uh, Juan Adams was gassed after the third round. And I texted Amanda because, like I said, I was here. I said, this is it. And a minute and a half later, it was over, and I was screaming and yelling. If there was anybody working at WOKV, I'm sorry I gave you a heart attack probably for screaming and yelling up here. <laughs> I'll tell you, we were jacked up too, man. I, I Stewart, by the way, said the same. He's like, if he can get to the fourth round, like he called, he's like, get to the fourth round. And then he also brought up an interesting point. That was a heavyweight title fight. Mm -hmm. Normally, it's a three-round fight, but the title right. fights go five. And so, they're, like, if that was ended at three, he would have lost. Yeah, likely. Right? On decision, mm -hmm. he would have lost. He lost the first round, and then... Second round, he got the reversal. I, I still don't know if they would have given him the second round. Yeah, I don't either. And I was watching some of the people that were, like, scoring it on Twitter that I, for some reason, were. I don't think they were the actual judges, obviously, but they yeah, were, like, yeah. fighters, and they were... Some of the scores were interesting. I had to stop myself from quote where you're tweeting, like, bro, what are you talking oh, about? Oh, really? So they, the, were, they were saying Juan Adams was really winning big? Yeah, and yeah. I was like, that's not What was right. their reaction after he knocked him out? <laughs> uh, just, I, you know, I felt the same way about the commentary. It was kind of like anything Austin did, it was like, oh, wow, he's, like, doing this. It's like, nah, he's better. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this guy was in the MM, or, uh, in the UFC, so I guess they're on that side. But well, that's true. And, and by the way, Weber told me, too, this guy trains out of the gym in New Mexico, which is apparently a renowned yeah. gym, right? Yeah, that's and correct. And so I think he does. Listen, Austin was the underdog in that fight. There's no doubt about it. Sure. 
And, and so that was a huge – I can't tell you enough that this is what I do know. That was a huge win for Austin. Yeah. Like, it was a massive win. It's his 10th career win, so he's in the double digits. And it's four in a row now. And so I, I can't wait to talk to him about it. Honestly, I haven't talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> I, haven't, I mean, I've texted him, but we were jacked up in there. I, I, it's wild to me. Like, I get nervous. I, I'm actually – it's like I'm watching my kids play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. I get the same feeling. But that was a heck of a rush, man. I was jacked up the rest of the night, even after the Jags, you know, were terrible. And uh, I was like, oh, this is the, that was a great finish to the weekend. So uh, it was an awesome win for Austin. Here's the deal. He's flying back, I think. He, he See, this is the, I'm going to have to get to him on this. I, I think his the new morning gig at 95.1 WAPE probably has a lot more people texting him and, and contacting him. Right. Right. And so now we have been, I've been thrown way down the list of important people oh, yeah, wait here in this building. I don't have an office. No, you don't. Right? I mean, I, I'm I'm now just like just another guy. And yeah. so I, I really haven't even had any communication with him. Yeah. I I texted him maybe an hour he after. He even texted you back. Well, somebody texted me back. It could have been somebody on his phone. I mean, I'm not taking this personal or anything. It's okay. It might have been like the copy and paste reply. He just said, you know, appreciate it. The funny thing is, like, in the past, I've, this is how far I've fallen down the list. Okay. It's because... In the past, like, I have texted him, like, right after the win. The last couple have been so quick. And I swear he texts me back, like, I, I'm like, how did you even make it back to the locker room that quick? Yeah. To get your phone. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, did you have your phone in the corner? <laughs> I thought, I think the same thing. Like, he's just, he's just like, all right, well, that was another day at the office. I'm going to go get on my phone now. Like, you know what I mean? Nothing serious. Uh, so, anyway, it's an awesome win for Austin. And uh, he'll be back with us tomorrow. And uh, we'll all gain five pounds together. We'll be at Top Golf tomorrow. Yeah, I won't get to gain uh, any pounds. No, we'll, we'll drop something off for you. Appreciate uh, that. Tuesdays at Top Golf. Uh, Josh Goby will be there as well. So come on out to Top Golf tomorrow. Celebrate with us. Uh, and Austin should be back. But I think he's flying this afternoon back from Houston. That would make sense. And that was where we knew he wasn't going to be on the show today. Uh, so uh, heck of a win. That's awesome. Great win. And, and then I can't wait to ask him what's next, seriously. Like now, yeah, it's wait and see. Uh, and I can tell you this, I know this, I don't want to give up too much because I don't know how much he wants everybody else to know, but the he played the patient game over yeah. the last, like, two months where he had some other opportunities, and that patient game played off to get this opportunity in Houston to beat Juan Adams to get now maybe in the conversation to get back to the UFC. So, uh, in fact, we saw... Uh, Stewart was telling me, he's like, uh, Dana White was at another Fury event in, like, yes. Denver and th that over is... the weekend, and he picked two guys up to go to the UFC. So yep. this was a Fury event. It's a good stepping stone event. And, again, beating a guy that was in the UFC and Juan Adams. Um, That's what I was going to say. If you go to the Fury FC uh, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, if you scroll down maybe one or two posts, you'll see a balded man you may recognize that runs a pretty big fighting yeah, yeah. Uh, company. So, yeah, so, yeah absolutely uh, great opportunity. Really good. Good stuff. Uh, all right. Uh, that's the good stuff of the day. Oh, boy. And now we, uh, speaking of knockouts. <laughs> yeah. Both Dan Mullen and the Jags. Yeah. Uh, we'll go Dan Mullen in a little bit. Good. The Jags. I mean, listen, I've been around here a, a long time now. I've covered a lot of bad football. The Jags are not good. So... Some of this stuff doesn't surprise you. And then some of it's like, are you kidding me? Like, did that really just happen? It was 20 minutes time of possession to two minutes. It was 33 plays to four plays. It was 17 to nothing again by the middle of the second quarter. I mean, it, 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 it was penalty after penalty 
after good plays on defense to get off the field. And it was still only a field goal even after the 20-play drive, and then the offense couldn't do anything. Uh, it was eventually a guy getting ejected after he got a penalty that kept the offense on the field. He had already done that one time, Rayshon Jenkins had, previously on the first drive where he was holding, and I don't even know how he could have held, and I know that was a little ticky-tack, but... I mean, yeah. they got to the they got to Garoppolo in like less than two seconds, and somehow there was a penalty on that play. But Rayshon Jenkins, thirty-five million dollar guy, two huge penalties and a punch and an ejection in that game. That's not cool. Like it's not good. That's that's not worth thirty-five million dollars in a C on your jersey. Uh, I don't know Rayshon very well, but that's bad. Uh, and that's that's how it is. That's, we just say it how it is. That's bad. Yeah. And. Uh, I mean, it was gross. It was embarrassing. It was, it, I mean, already you got all these 49ers fans in there. I, I mean, it, it, I, I don't even know what rock bottom for the Jags is. Uh, I don't, I've been to rock bottom with the Jags, I, I feel like, a couple of different times over the years. I don't feel that way uh, about this team. What's weird to me is they have thrown three games out there that were, like, disgustingly bad. Uh, like, the punter doesn't come out on the field. I mean, Tavon Austin drops a punt. Every phase oh, of the game right. was gross. And they did it against Houston. They did it against Seattle. And they've now done it. They've played 10 games. That's 30% of your games where, like, you seriously don't look like you belong in the NFL. I, and I'm not sitting here telling you all that, that like, Georgia and Alabama are going to beat you. No, I'm not doing that. But you don't look like you belong on the same field as those other teams. And by the way, Houston's awful. And Seattle really isn't that good either. Yeah. And San Francisco's just okay. At best. And so, oddly enough, you looked like you belong on the field against Arizona and Cincinnati and Buffalo. So why this Jekyll and Hyde act that the Jags play, sometimes, again, I believe you'll have one of those games. But when you start having three of them in a 10-game span, that is majorly concerning. Like, that is, it's just bad on every level. So there's, there's no way to sugarcoat this. Like, that was gross. I can't even figure out anybody or anything that I can grab onto. Uh, in fact, I was, I'm really just happy that it's a Thanksgiving week and we don't have five days of shows to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> because I can't give you five things to, I mean, anything to really grab. Listen, I think Josh Allen continues to play well. That's, uh, true. that's it. Uh, I think Smoot showed up in some spots, although he also had the bad offsides. So um, I think Miles Jack led the team with tackles, although I think I, I saw him miss like an angle on Debo Samuel on the big run. It might even been the touchdown run. So there's just not much i mean you know there's nothing from the kicking game there's nothing from the punt game the injuries were bad uh, trevor lawrence actually i think played okay but i don't really know and did they really test him like nothing mattered i didn't notice either quarterback in the game that's how bad the football game was like jimmy garoppolo didn't do anything either jimmy garoppolo actually should have probably thrown a couple more touchdowns yeah and, and he misfired yeah thankfully that's uh, true. so I mean, it was, it, there's no other way to put it, folks. I mean, that was bad. This is like a positive guy in town telling you that was gross and disgusting and terrible. And, and now, like, you look, I had a little, I had a positive vibe coming off, you know, you could say two out of three. And, and then even last week, the beginning was weird, but they fixed it and they had a chance. And the rookie QB fumbles against Indy. And now look at Indy. They might look like they have found something. And so... All those things. And you know what? They could have lost to San Francisco, and we could still have some of those things going to the second half of the year, the final eight games. 
but you don't lose like that. Like, not on your home field, not to a team that's really just okay. And and now what does that give you for the last seven or eight games? Like, I really think there's value in these seven games left. I thought there was a lot of value in the eight games. And they just started it kind of the way they started the season. Uh, and, and by the way, this mess that they have right now on offense is all coming off the bye week. I mean, the mess on offense for four weeks, they've scored 40 points combined, and I'll give you garbage touchdown against Seattle, and mm-hmm. I'll give you garbage touchdown yesterday. That's it. Yeah. That is all they've got. I mean, it is brutal on offense right now, and uh, that's all coming off the bye week. Now, what's another problem with that? James Robinson. And... I'm almost wondering now, like, I I thought about this today, and this is going to sound like an excuse. It's not an excuse because I'm done. There's no excuses for the Jags right now. But are the Jags better off just sitting Robinson down rather than wondering if he's 100% and full go? Because he does not look himself. I mean, that's for sure. I'm not blaming any of this on Robinson. I mean, uh, James has been great. He's toughing it out. And honestly, I can't even tell if there's a right or wrong answer to this question because he got 12 carries for 29 yards. He was rendered useless in the game. Yeah. I mean, so uh, their whole offense looks useless in the game, quite frankly. Uh, so I, I, I don't know, though. I, I got the sense listening to Urban Meyer today that he almost is asking that question. Like, all right, listen, James is toughing it out. He's trying, but he's not as explosive right now. Should we just sit him down for two weeks and have him, like, the last five weeks of the year? And, and let him play good ball. But right now, if we wonder if he's going to be able to be himself, if we're trying to rely on something that might not be there, is it better just to take him off the field and say, hey, he's out? And that, I wonder that a little bit about this last four weeks. Seattle, they had him and lost him. So they game plan with him, and then he was out like the second drive of the game. They obviously didn't have him the next week against Buffalo, and crazy enough, they end up winning that game. And then Indianapolis, they're testing him out before the game. They don't even start him because they don't know what to expect out of him. And then they did start him this one, but, I mean, it, nothing on offense even mattered. So I wonder if that's now a question is, should they rest him for a couple of weeks, let him get better, and then just have him for the last five games of the season, or even if it's the last four games of the season, as something you know is going to be something you can count on, and at least over the next couple of weeks you can build an offensive game plan knowing that you won't have him. Yeah. No, I, I'm with that. Look ahead to uh, some of those games you got left, and I don't know if they're winnable anymore, but the Jets in Houston have him fully healthy there because, as we saw yesterday, dropping like flies, Brent. Who's left? I don't even know. On injury-wise, I know Jamal Agnew's out for the rest of the season, obviously, but I would play the safe game with James Robinson because that's pretty much all you got, and now it's pretty obvious that's all you got. So see if you can beat the Falcons with Carlos Hyde and whoever. Go from there. All right. Uh, we'll talk more about Jags. Uh, we got uh, Dan Mullen firing. Who's next? Uh, should they have fired him? Do you think he wanted out or did they want to fire him? I know the fan base wanted to fire him. Hey, the fan base feels better on a Monday. Does that mean the fan base is going to feel better in a year and a half? Right? I mean, the fan base is emotional. Some of the media that covers the Gators and loves the Gators, emotional. I'm not sure this is the best move for the Florida Gators. I'm still not convinced of it. Yeah. And so whose move was it? Was Mullen, did they just figure out he just didn't want to be there anymore? Or did Strickland say, hey, I, I, I've seen enough. It's time to move on. Or did the booster, you know how that goes in the college game. So, and, and what's out there? And they have plenty of competition. USC, LSU, this is not the best job out there you can argue. I mean, the it's best not. job for a coach is LSU. 
Yes, it is. With, now, USC is a little different probably, but LSU is the best job for a coach. They will give you everything, every resource. You have no competition in the state. So Florida is now hiring in what I think is a somewhat weak cycle from a candidate list to a job that's not even the best job available. We talk all about Dan Mullen. We talk more about the Jags. Oh, baby. We'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Happy Thanksgiving week. Yeah, uh, defensively, third downs. We couldn't get off the field in their first drive. They took about, uh, you know, basically the whole first quarter. Uh, that's a very good football team, too, by the way. I, I think they're kind of hitting their stride. Very good players. Good scheme. We just had, you know, you saw what I saw about four times. They had a chance to get off the field. We didn't do it. And then offensively, my God, you know, uh, I think we had three and out and then a turnover. We had four plays in the first quarter, I think. And then uh, then Trevor, I thought, and the group took him right down the field, kicked the field goal, and that was the first half. It's really a hard game for the Jags, I think, to even look at their offense and say, oh, yeah, well, I mean, okay, they missed two plays. They missed third and five, and, and LaVisca fumbles. So that's bad, obviously. But outside of that, like, the game was over. Like, there's not – got to go totally outside of your game plan. And you kick a field goal, you get a little momentum potentially. If you can make a stop, then you get the ball coming out of the third. And then I think you could make a case you can make it into a game again. I mean, you could go 17-10 to make it a game. But then they give up a field goal at the end of the half. So it's just like, that was it. It just never felt like they were even – threatening well they didn't <laughs> it's not like a feel like thing they never threatened brent martineau casey kurtz back here action sports shacks on espn 69 it was just embarrassing gross you say it was bad in every single way for the jags uh, in a big backtrack the only thing about uh, this is it, it little evidence is the jags have bounced back from some of these pitiful performances and played pretty good they played terrible against seattle and they bounced back and they beat the bills the other problem with all that is they have not figured out a dang thing with their offense. And the question I have out there is, should they sit James Robinson? Not because of anything he's done, but because he's not fully healthy, you can tell. He's trying to gut it out and give it a go. But maybe it's in the best interest of him and even the football team from a game-planning standpoint. Now, listen, he's the best player on offense, so it doesn't make you better to sit him. But if you don't know if you can get 70% out of them or whatever the percentage is, then maybe it's better to not have a guy in the game that is, you're not sure exactly what you're going to get. Uh, he definitely doesn't look as explosive running the football right now. I think that's obvious. He's playing through pain and I mean, I'm not advocating for it. I just wonder if it's something they consider and because really I think if you go sit down for a couple of weeks, as, as much as that stinks, you come back for the final month of the season, you feel better, you're refreshed, you're more healthy, and maybe that gets this team at least some momentum in the final month of the year. They can operate better, function a little bit better, uh, and James, I, I would, I think hopefully we'll get a contract at the end of this year, can really put up some good numbers in a healthy way. But if he's just muddling along with 12, 15 carries for 70 yards, I mean, it's not really doing much even for him. Uh, from a selfish standpoint, and I'm just not sure how much it's doing for the football team uh, if he's not not 100%, but not explosive enough to trust all that stuff. Uh, we've got him on Jags Report Live tonight. Might ask him a little bit about that. These guys want to play. They want to play hurt. So, I mean, I know where he lands on it, and uh, I think you got to give him all the credit for playing hurt. I just wonder if it's a better thing to do for him uh, right now, and maybe, maybe in a weird way uh, from a game-planning standpoint for the football team. I mean, listen, even... 
with James Robinson. It can't get much worse without James Robinson in the lineup right now. I mean, the Jags' offense is pitiful. I said it before the break. It's 40 points over four games combined. The Chargers had 41 points last night. The Steelers had 27 points in the fourth quarter alone last night. I mean, it's unbelievable. 40 points combined, and two of those are garbage touchdowns. Like, San Fran yesterday was 30-3 to when they scored. And it was 24 to nothing, I think, when they scored against Seattle, like late in the game, then gave up the onside kick touchdown. The special teams have been bad. Everything's bad right now for the Jags. But the most troubling spot for bad is the offense because you got a rookie quarterback, and it just doesn't seem like there's any growth right now around him. Uh, and they're, well, it's not like it doesn't seem. There isn't. There's nothing to rely on. I don't know how you can go into a football game and Dan Arnold catch has no targets. He's your only mismatch on offense. Maybe LaVisca Chanel, but you can't rely on LaVisca right now. He's been playing bad football. He actually made some decent plays in the game, but he fumbled, and that was huge. So it negates everything. So uh, I mean, it's really hard for Trevor Lawrence right now. He, he must feel like the world is, like, collapsing around him in the football sense. Uh, I know he's he's got a better head on his shoulders than that, like off the field and, and sideline and everything. But when he's in there, it must be like, what a, what is going on here? <laughs> I mean, he, he talk about a tough situation for a rookie quarterback. Uh, and I don't like when we can hardly grade Trevor Lawrence in a game. Like, when we don't get a chance to grade the rookie quarterback and say, hey, was he any good? Was he bad? I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Do you know? I mean, you want to go back to the third and five play? The third and five play was the most important play in the game. And it happened late in the first quarter. And we all know why, because we've watched enough football. For 20 minutes, or 13 minutes, they had the ball. For 20 plays, San Francisco had the ball. The defense had to be tired. Now, Josh Allen later said, listen, it's not like they were hurrying up to the line. We weren't, like, you know, really fatigued. But 20 plays. And 13 minutes, that's a long time. And not expected either. Well, then the offense is rusty too because they stretched and got ready for the game like 45 minutes ago <laughs> and, and thought they'd be in there. I mean, I saw James Robinson and others like stretching and bouncing up and down on the sideline because they were like trying to get loose and stay loose because they hadn't even been on the field yet. So they get to third and five. And this is where Daryl Bevel, like, has to be better. Like, he has, it was the most important call of the game. I mean, nobody could know that that would be the case all the way through the game. But we knew it was a big play at the time. And they go, like, four wide receivers, I think, uh, and, and, or three wide receivers, and a go route, go route to John Brown down the left sideline that he has no separation. He's never played a snap for the Jags before. And that was, like, your high-percentage play? I had no idea what was called. Maybe that was Trevor who had to go. I mean, I saw a breakdown of it today. They said nobody was open. I think Dan Arnold stumbled out of his break, somebody said. And, and so the timing was off there. And there was nowhere to go. So Trevor goes to the left sideline. And he really threw it out of bounds. It was good coverage anyway. I don't think it would have been completed. Um, and that was it. Like later on in the game, they actually ran some rub routes and the pick plays and and those kind of plays to get all Agnew and others open for first downs. Like why don't you call that there? That was a huge, huge play in the football game. And then it was magnified when LaVisca Chenault, one drive later, 
one play in that was actually a positive play fumbles the football away to the Niners. And now your defense is, I mean, they're dead. I mean, they gave up a touchdown after the punt, and then they gave up another touchdown on a short field, and it's 17-0. They've been on the field for 33 plays. It's a lot and, of plays. And at that time, they had been on the field for over 20 minutes' time of possession. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And so, uh, I mean, listen, you all know what happened. You saw what happened. I just don't know where they're going to the answer well. Like, uh, now a lot of guys, Jamal Agnew's out for the year. And I don't think you should rely on Jamal Agnew all the time, but he's a nice wrinkle in your offense. And he had speed on your offense. And now you're rolling guys out there like John Brown and Laquan Treadwell out with Marvin Jones, who, again, Marvin Jones up until garbage time didn't do anything. Uh, and LaVisca, who's playing really not good football for the last month. So I don't know where it gets better. James O'Shaughnessy comes back. Brandon Linder gets healthy. Uh, Dan Arnold, I would figure, it will be a part of this offense. Some of the – I thought actually in the game, like if you take that last drive of the first half where they get the field goal, and again, it's 17 nothing. so the mindset of even San Francisco changes from a defensive standpoint. So that's why it's hard to grade. But they actually had open guys. Like, they, they, were, they did scheme some things. But, again, I go back to the Bevel. The most critical plays of the year, Bevel stinks at. He's not good. Or Trevor stinks at. Or their offense just stinks at. Like, I don't know who's to blame, but I think this one you can point to. Because I saw it Thursday night with the Patriots, how just schemed everything was for Mac Jones and the Patriots. And Bevel is really disappointed in big moments if you go all the way back to the beginning of the season. And I have not been as critical of Bevel as everybody else has. Uh, it's starting to build, I will say. Uh, but I think the offense puts him in a tough spot, too. Like, I, I think that was on him, that third and five play. I really do. But, okay. That was to John, that was to John Brown Long. Yeah, that right? was John Brown Long. Was that his time. only route run? It was the only I, time he was on TV. It might have been. Yeah. I, I think he might have been back in the game later. I don't, I, but I'm not even sure. Um, the... I, but I will say this. Take away the one. Okay, so I thought that was a bad play on Bevel's part. Mm -hmm. But then he has come a good play with LaVisca to start the next drive, and they look like they're going to be good in any fumbles. So even for the play caller and the quarterback and everybody on offense, I mean, you seriously have an hour of the football game has gone by, like real time-wise, and you have run four plays. Like we are It's like three and out, three and out, three and out. Like you can't get your offensive coordinator and your, your quarterback in a rhythm when you run four plays in the first, at the seven-minute mark of the second quarter. Like, it is impossible to do that. Uh, but I still think they misfired big time on that third and five. That was the biggest play of the game. Like, the Jags actually held them to a field goal. <laughs> like, as yeah. miserable as the, the existence of being a Jags fan was in the first quarter. It was three to nothing. Yeah. That was it. I remember I said when it happened, I was like, that's a win, low-key. I said that to Amanda. I'm like, that's a win, low-key. I will say this. Even at third and five, they go out, right? They, they punt. And I'm thinking, the NFL is so weird because I've seen this from the Jags' perspective where you dominate a game, but you only kick a couple of field goals, and then by the middle of the second quarter, the team has scored a touchdown, you're down 7-6. And so I was actually thinking, again, because I'm a very positive thinker, you are. I was like, okay, they punted away. They're down 3 nothing. If they hold them right here, this was before the Debo Samuel touchdown run, if they just kick a field goal here, it's 6 nothing. Like, they have been absolutely demolished and dominated, and it's 6 nothing. 
well, the Jags couldn't hold. Now it's 10 nothing, And then LaVisca goes out and fumbles. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was just amazing. Just amazing. Hey, at least when you're watching on TV, you can turn it off. Yeah, I had to stay there. Yeah, that's tough. And work thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the Jaguars were, were brutal. Uh, hey, let's get on Dave Mullen a little bit. How, were you surprised it happened yesterday? Yes, I was. When it didn't, yeah, I was. I was surprised. But I, it now makes sense because obviously the report came out that they asked him if he wanted to coach, and he said no. Um, I thought it would be next, yeah, next Sunday. So do you think if they beat Florida State, he still would have got fired? He, uh, yeah, I would so you think, think so. he was out? Yeah, I would think so. I don't know who's who's the driving force, like you said. I don't know if Dan Mullen played a part in wanting to leave or what. That part is still a little cloudy, and it wouldn't really surprise me if Dan Mullen was involved in that decision. But, yeah, I think he was done either way. You can't they're, – they're, they're in a no-win situation. He hasn't recruited anybody. So next year I, – I said this to my dad on the phone because my dad's a Gators fan. I was like, before they'd fired him, I said, they're going to get smoked by Utah game one next year. And it's just going to go downhill from there because they haven't recruited well. And Anthony Richardson is apparently leaving. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so yeah, and that they didn't want this to wait. See, what happened was, if you go back to Muschamp, now he was cleaning up the program after the Urban Days a little bit, and they were really asked him to do that. And uh, I think they felt like they owed it to him. But I think it was he went four and eight. You know, remember his second year they went to the Sugar Bowl, and then I think he went four and eight right after that. And then they were like, all right, we're going to give him an opportunity. We're not going to fire him. Even though the writing was on the wall, they were going to fire him. And he never, obviously, the, the, the next year was brutal, too. Like, it wasn't good enough, and then he gets fired. So I understand why people are like, listen, this wasn't going anywhere. Like, there was nothing to suggest that it was going anywhere. What I think you have to be a little careful of if you're a Gator fan is Dan Mullen can coach football. This like, is I true. I think every Gator fan will, will admit that. For whatever reason, they could not win a game down the last month and, and not beat Power 5 schools, really, for the last year. Uh, and it went sour quick. But I just am, again, this is a total neutral perspective. I'm not a Gator fan, not a Gator hater. Uh, probably hate on them more just because I'm surrounded by them. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, a, a, either way. From a neutral observer standpoint who watched Muschamp and McElwain not win, and talk about not sustained winning. And Scott Strickland wants to talk about we need sustainability. Well, wait a minute. Mullen came in here, and he won like 33 games mm -hmm. or 30 games in three years or whatever it was. He went to three New Year's Six Bowl games. They were in the top ten three years in a row. He had a record offense last year, a yeah. record-setting offense. And so I understand. So, again, the recruiting's different. The feel of the program's different. What's going on inside the building's different. Does he want to be there? All those things factor in. I understand. But let's not lose sight of coaches coach to win games and lose games. And that's kind of what you're judged on. Well, for three years, he won football games. He did something they hadn't done since Urban. And he did it at a consistent level. Sustained that. I always wondered whether they could win big. Certainly still wondered that with Mullen the whole time. And I'm not sure they, he would have ever won big. And obviously Strickland said that too or decided that too and didn't talk him out of it if he wanted to go or, or maybe just said, hey, I see what's going on. So it just is amazing. Be careful. The next guy you get in here might not be able to coach football as well as Dan Mullen. Yep. Now what the hope is that that guy can really recruit. He better. He better, right? 
uh, because Mullen was bad at that. I mean, we've got a. This is not a Mullen defense. This quirky stuff about Mullen, I'm not sure. He can't recruit as well as the other guys. That's fact. Um, he was not developing these two quarterbacks very well. His personnel decisions were interesting. Uh, and he did look like he didn't really want to be there much. And so I flat out wonder, given all that stuff, that it, Scott Strickland, I wonder if he made the decision or if he was helped making the decision by Mullen and read body language or had conversations that said, listen, it's probably better if we all just part ways. Yeah. You know, and I think it, I feel like it went down more that way because I think Strickland would have hung on to him for another year. I, and they're not even like this buddy-buddy. Don't get that twisted. They're not like because they work together at Mississippi State and Florida. I, I don't think they're like these super close guys and there's loyalty and all that. I, I mean, I'm not saying they don't like that they don't like each other, but I just don't think they're like locked in together. You know, they. I don't even. I don't even think Mullen was the first choice. Mullen was probably choice number three when they hired him, it's and true. that tells the story. So, I just. I, I'm a little. Uh, nervous for gator fan here because gator fan feels better today that mullen's gone but gator fan hasn't looked on the other side of the door yet and who's gator fan going to get and what's it going to look like and is it going to look like the Muschamp champ stuff looked like i'm not saying it will but there's a danger zone that awaits sometimes i think if you're a fan also there's a false sense of you're going to get lane kiffin or x coach y coach because you know why because we're the university of florida guess what Nobody cares. Yeah, I think that is overplayed. Uh, I think it is over. It's a great job. Listen, it's a great job. Uh, the facilities are now where they need to be a little bit better. They want to win. you got talent sitting all over the place in the backyard. Uh, but you have competition because everybody invades the state of Florida. And Florida State looks like now they might be a little bit ahead of you, believe it or not. <laughs> we'll find out Saturday, I guess, a little bit more if we can actually say that. We will. But... They look like they're settled down in a place that they're more comfortable with their football program than even Florida is right now. So um, there's a lot going on in Gainesville. Let's take a break. Uh, I, I do want to talk about this for a little bit more. Like, who will they get? I'll tell you the odds of, uh, say, a Kiffin or Napier or whoever else uh, coming to Gainesville. Better turn those headphones down if we talk about Napier. And uh, be yelling. So what do the odds say? But also, how good is this job? Like, is, is this the second best job out there? Is it the third best job out there? How good is this job at Florida? We talk about it. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think there's one answer to that. I, something definitely that's helped in the past is uh, you just need a spark. You need guys to make plays, and it's all of us, it's me, it's receivers, running backs, wideouts, like, it's just everybody. Um, someone make a play, get some momentum, um, and we just didn't, we didn't make any big plays today, so we got to be better. We could have used a few, few sparks you saw. We were starting to do that as offensively, haven't been great, so we got to find that again. But like I said, we still need to, I don't want to say too much until I watch the tape and see for sure. Lawrence getting a little, uh... Annoyed. He looked ticked coming off the field a couple times. I mean, the last couple weeks has been tough uh, on, on himself and also on the team. And I think uh, he's got to demand more out of these guys. That's part of being the quarterback. And I think he is doing that. So we'll see if it pays off for him. But he's not mincing words and he's not wrong. That is for sure. Uh, let's uh, wrap up, at least for now, a little bit of conversation on Dan Mullen firing. Uh, next Florida Gators head coach. And I just asked this question, too. What seriously, where does the job rank? 
You've got USC out there. It's been open for most of the season. You have LSU, and you have Florida. Many people think Florida is like, some people say it's a top five job. Um, you know, I've, I've said this about USC and Texas. If this is such a good job, then why can't anybody win at USC and Texas? Like, nobody wins. So if it's such a good job, sooner or later, somebody's going to win. Well, they haven't done anything for like 10 or 15 years, you know? Uh, Florida's not that. I, I believe Florida is a very good job. Florida also has a lot of competition with that job. Uh, and that's a little bit of Texas's problem in the state now. You got Texas A&M. You got, you got Oklahoma always dips in there. You got even a team like Houston who will pick up some players now. Uh, so there's TCU has been good at times. So there's competition. That's a thing. And that job's open, TCU. Yeah, TCU. And, and listen, this is Virginia Tech. But those teams, don't, they, they don't qualify in this conversation, I don't think. Here's the thing. We, LSU is hands down the best job. They will give you private jets and helicopters and millions of dollars, and, and the boosters will buy everybody out if they have to. <laughs> they'll, they'll throw the blank checkbook in front of uh, Jimbo Fisher, whoever it is, uh, and, and they've got the whole state. And that's a good high school football state, by the way. I live there. It's underrated. It's really good, and it's right next to Texas, of course, as you know. Uh, so everybody wants to go to LSU. Here's the thing. In Florida, not everybody wants to go to Florida. A lot of people want to go to Florida. Not everybody, though. And uh, everybody's invading Florida for the athletes. So, I mean, is it is it the second? Like, I think it's probably better than USC. I really do, because I'm not going to be hypocritical and say, I mean, I think it's definitely better than USC. I think it's two on the list, but LSU in the SEC beats Florida to it. Yeah, I mean, it has the potential to be two, but I think it's three. Because, you think it's behind USC? Yeah, because if you can recruit well at USC, you're good. It's just, here's the thing, too. It's like LSU in Florida, that's a competition. USC in Florida, not really. Most of the time, you're going to get a guy who's West Coast ties who can recruit out there. Florida, you're going to get a guy with East Coast ties, Southeast ties, Southern ties. So you're not really looking for the same pool of candidates, most likely. So I don't really see it as friction, even if you think, hey, USC has, is a the Hollywood job, you know, and all this stuff, and it can be great. Hey, listen, USC could be great. Texas could be great. Bottom line is they haven't been great, and they've tried a lot of different coaches. Florida's a really good job, and Florida can get a very good coach. I'm not sure this is a great coaching cycle. And now Lane Kiffin could leave. If I'm Ole Miss, I'm locking up. I actually like the fit with Lane and Ole Miss, and, and I think if I'm Lane, there's no pressure there, right? Everything you do is gravy, and, and so – I would stay there if I'm Lane, but he probably will end up bouncing around. I think the recruiting trail says Cristobal becomes a possibility because he's a great recruiter. He's also a Florida tie guy, and he's really doing great up there in, in Oregon, even after the disaster of the weekend. But I bet they have more resources at Oregon in terms of throwing the kitchen sink into it than they do at Florida. And, yeah, there's a, something about playing in the, L, at, at, in the SEC but there's also something about not playing in the SEC. Right. Your path to the Final Four could be easier. Right. I don't think – I'm not sure Cristobal's going to leave. And so they could fix the recruiting, bam, like that. Well, then the, Billy Napier is a, a hot topic and a hot candidate. And uh, apparently Twitter's already got the plane tracking on its way to Lafayette today, like just in the last hour. So <laughs> plane tracking has begun. And Napier, according to Vegas, is a 4-1 to one favorite – Kiffin five to one, Cristobal six to one, Bob Stoops eight to one, James Franklin eight to one, Mark Stoops eight to one. Little sibling rivalry for the gig. There you go. 
You're a Gator guy. Bob mm-hmm. Stoops do anything for you? Not really. No? He's old. 61 years old. Yeah, I'm getting back in it. Uh, Kiffin. No. Really? I, I just... See, Kiffin seems like that. It's like, hey, this would be fun. It would be interesting. It would that, definitely be interesting. And by the way, that would fit the Florida hire because they love hiring quirky dudes. And that's worked I out. I mean, Spurrier, Well, that, that obviously. Work out. Yeah. And by the way, quirky doesn't always mean bad. I'm not trying right, to have no. as a negative connotation. But they're, they're different cats now. Uh, coaches are usually different anyway. But Mullen is a quirky guy. McIlwain's a very quirky guy. Kiffin is a quirky guy, you know? So that kind of fits the bill of the hiring process of Florida. Napier, I don't know. I mean, listen, I know what he's done, but I don't know from a personality standpoint. I mean, he's very less low profile in that regard. He comes with rave reviews. You don't seem to love him. Uh, here's what I'll tell you. Uh, on Rivals, he has the 85th class this year. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. It's hard it's to Louisiana. Yeah, well, here's some classes that are ahead of him. Miami of Ohio, Central Michigan, Toledo, Southern Miss, App State, Utah State, Eastern Carolina, Coastal Carolina, Arkansas State. If you can't recruit better than those schools, I'm good. I'll tell you, the guy that intrigues me the most for Florida is probably James Franklin. He's 49 years old. I'm with that. He can recruit the hell out of things. And now what people say, the book on him is that he's not going to maximize the talent enough. But... I think he's a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach. I think he's a good coach, and he's a good recruiter. So he might be the best combo package there is. Uh, if you want to have fun, Kiffin's the guy. If you want to recruit, Cristobal's the guy. If, if you, you want just to fun. coach, it's maybe Napier's the guy. You know. So they, what are you looking for? And that's going to be the test uh, for Scott Strickland and Florida. There are some good candidates. I don't see Matt Campbell coming here. Uh, and, and I'll be with that. You'd like that, yeah, 12 to 1 odds, uh, Luke Fickle, I think, is not coming here. I so I'd be surprised. And to be honest with you, they don't want to play that style of ball. They don't want a defensive guy. No. Like, not that hard. No, that's not what they want at Florida. And you can't come to Florida if you're a defensive guy. You've got nothing. You have yeah. nothing right now on the defensive side of the ball to build off of. Your only good players are leaving. So, yeah, I don't see that one. If it's – I think you go to Crystal Ball with the check, he fills it out, and if he doesn't want it, you adjust from there. I don't think he will want it, but – that's got to be the first move. I'm telling you, Franklin is not a bad move, I think, as a lot of people would say. I don't think a lot of people would love Franklin and not high on their list. I think James Franklin could be a very good pick for, for the Gators. Top five recruiting class at Penn State. Uh, we'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.